amazed. How can you be amazed? Unless you know him. Unless you understand the sacrifice that was made. You can't. It's impossible. Sorry, I'm walking around a lot. Dorothy picked a good song. We didn't sing it, but we don't know it very well. But it's a wonderful song. Just the title. Unseen Hand. What or who is the unseen hand? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the unseen hand that guides us and shows us things, marvelous things, wonderful things. And we claim them and apprehend them. But we wouldn't see that or even know that there's an unseen hand there unless the unseen hand had already showed us those things. Does that make sense? I made a big circle. Because it all goes back to the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus, his son. All of it. And there's a few words in here. I'm not going to read the whole song. <clears throat> Give me one moment. You can go to 591 if you wish. I long to see my Savior's face and sing the story saved by grace. And there upon the golden strand, I'll praise him for his guiding hand. What wonderful words those are. And putting glory and honor and gratitude in the right place. I used to say I'm not much for titles, but I've gotten to where I, I title things in sermons now. This title is Day of Death. You know, that should be scary to a degree. The world doesn't see it that way. They don't even understand it. But I have some questions to you before we, we get into the, the fullness of the sermon. A sinner, it said in one of the songs, condemned and unclean. When were we condemned? At our first sin? Think about that. No. Were we condemned before you were born? Yes. Were we condemned 2,000 years ago? Yes. 5,000 years ago? Yes. Before the world was made? Yes. Well, how was I condemned before the world was even brought forth? It's because God, being omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent, he's everywhere. But he knew, and his plan came to fruition, that man was weak, and he knew it, and that we would need a Savior. We can get tangled up in this a lot, too. But we stand condemned, and so does the world. They just don't know it. They don't believe it. They despise any kind of chastisement. They despise the word. They despise truth. They despise wisdom. And we would too. I was condemned before I was born. Had I had a sin yet? No. No, we're told that it's Adam committed the first sin and all that are after him are also uh, compelled to sin and are part of that sin. But we, see, we can't blame it on Adam. I did my own sin. 
I brought sin to fruition in my life. Therefore, there should be a consequence to all of that sin. But you don't see it, your judgment, until the Holy Spirit reveals it. That unseen hand shows you that you're a sinner and you're unclean. And then gives you the desire to do something about it. Not that you can personally, but go to the one that can change things. Jesus Christ. You wouldn't recognize or love him without the spirit or the unseen hand. What a good choice that was. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to John five twenty nine, And then Psalm 102. But John five twenty nine, just one verse. Says this. And shall come forth that they have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Superficially, you could look at that and say, well, God just separated the good people from the bad people. Right? Such an incomplete thought. The problem is there are no good people. There is no one that's holy. There is no one that has done anything to cause God to look your way and say, I like that one. He certainly didn't do that with me. Unclean, sinner, not fit for the kingdom of God. And I recognize that and I know it. That's why I call upon him for salvation. Eternally and in the temporal sense, I need that. I have to have a hiding place to go to. I have to go to a place where I find comfort. That even though I'm a sinner, I can be forgiven. Those that have done good, it's an impossibility for a sinful creature to do good in the eyes of God and be recognized. It just doesn't happen. But we should understand, though, that we're condemned. And I was trying to make the point that we're condemned before we're born. We're born in sin, brought into a sinful world, and are complicit with all the sin that's going in in the world. And we need a Savior. That doing good is brought by the Holy Spirit again, but it's unto the resurrection of life, not good of our own volition, but good through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But those that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Well, that included us till we were saved from it. Uh, but there's a difference. They relish in the evil. They hate that which is good. They hate Christ. They hate the word. They, they despise wisdom. And I would too. You see the way that it works in general? You can talk about crime anywhere here. But there's some crime. Then it found out that person is arrested, right? Apprehended. Then they go to jail or prison awaiting judgment. Then they go before the judge. Things are looked at, examined. And I'm talking more in an earthly sense here. You know, we have uh, juries and things like that. But then, once you're found guilty, 
there's a sentence that must be carried out. The sentence is given, and then that sentence is executed. The reason we were all sentenced to die is that if you stand back, even before creation, God's decree was that all creatures should follow him. All creatures should believe in the word. All creatures should follow his commandments. All creatures are to do right. The sad part is, is that all of us feel like we do right in our own eyes. I got some good things I do. But none of it's worthy for the Lord unless it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Please go to Psalm 102. You see, God looks down on us with pity and grace and mercy. The world, they don't know that they're a prisoner. You can become a prisoner of all kinds of things. You get into debt. Guess what? You're in bondage. I've been there. I've done things that were the wrong thing and, and then really regretted the decision that I made, which wasn't a good decision. It's just, oh, I want that thing. But I can prove to myself why I need that thing, right? And I do it. But it wasn't the right thing. I make poor choices when it's in the flesh and I don't include God. And what we should do is go, God, I plan on doing this tomorrow. Is that within your will? And he'll give you an answer and sometimes the answer is no or silence Psalm 102 verse 19 I didn't tell you the verse I don't believe <clears throat> for he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary from heaven did the Lord behold the earth he knows everything but this next verse just listen, to hear the groaning of the prisoner and to loose those that are appointed to death. I've already qualified who that is. Who is appointed to death? All men. All men. Capitalized. A-L-L. All, all, all. We were all sentenced to death, appointed to death. God knew that we needed something, and I'm not trying to light things or lighten things. It's Christ. We need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. Otherwise, we would be condemned along with everybody else on the planet that has ever existed. This actually went with another thing that I was reading from Spurgeon. I think it was John 14 commentary, but anyway, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> I grabbed this, snagged this piece out because I really loved what it said. We are all aware that were it not for the substitutionary death of Christ, there could be no salvation for any man. It was the death of Christ that appeased God's wrath. It was the death of Christ that satisfied God's anger. It was the death of Christ that paid our debt. It was the death of Christ that purchased our forgiveness. And that death was voluntary. He did it because he knew you needed a Savior. He drank of that bitter cup. Our sin. 
and he took it to the cross. He looked upon us with pity. And again, grace and mercy and all those other things, wonderful things there. But the world doesn't see that. Why? Because the unseen hand isn't... I'm going to use it a lot this morning. The unseen hand hasn't directed them to see it. You say, well then, we talk a lot about election within our our, uh, community. Sovereign grace. But you can't get to the point and take it where, well, they're not in heaven or not going to go there just simply for the fact that they were not chosen. That's wrong. And I'm going to prove it with the scriptures. But the death of Jesus or his sacrifice, maybe I should put it in a different way, but this is Spurgeon's. uh, The sacrifice of Jesus is the centerpiece of Christianity. We talk about that a lot. We have core beliefs within this church and then we have other things that we talk about we don't all necessarily agree on. But we do agree on this one thing. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He bled and died. Willingly giving his body as a sacrifice for our sins. And that's why we have communion. We remember. We go into a time of remembrance that he gave his life. He shed his blood. And in John 6, it says we consume him. We do with our sin. But he did that willingly so we could have life and impart those wonderful things to us. And then when he left, what did he say he would send? I go away because I'm going to send the comforter, the unseen hand, to help you, to guide you, to show you, to give you wisdom. And that's why we should be so grateful. But see, you have to understand that you're in bondage, that you are a prisoner. The world doesn't see it. No, I should be able to do what I want. And by the way, if you preach any Christ or Christianity to them, you're trying to put me in bondage. You're limiting my freedom. I want to be a prisoner of Christ. I want to be apprehended of his spirit and his truth. I know that if he didn't keep me and uh, apprehend me, I, I wouldn't stay. Ecclesiastes 9. But we're never to stray too far from the cross. Unto thy cross I cling. That should be our statement in some form every day. Jesus, I cling to you. Jesus, I believe you're the cornerstone of my faith. And we can go down through statement after statement in the Bible that talks about being... Uh, thankful and having gratitude for being shown mercy and shown wisdom. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3. But there is evil in the world and we would be participants. There is an evil among all things that are done under the sun and there is one event unto all. Yea, all the heart of the sons of God men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live And after that, they go to the dead. Do we go to the dead? We might die. We might be in the grave, but that's not what it's talking about. Where do we go? To the land of the living. We have life. There's a promise of something after this. But those that go to the dead, that's the end. 
There is no more. For to him that is joined to all living things, uh, living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. And I certainly would rather be a living dog than a dead lion. We have hope. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. That makes it pretty clear, right? Keep that in mind when you're witnessing. Not that we shouldn't. Hopefully the... Holy Spirit opens their eyes and they listen and hear because of the uh, causation of the Spirit. They know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Reward. I'm looking forward to a reward. I'm looking forward to a crown and all the other things, but not because I earned it. Because I have joy in seeing the future of those things through Jesus Christ, my Savior. I I want that reward. And again, it's not me. I know it's none of me. Anything that I touch, I tarnish. Anything I touch has a blemish on it. Anything I touch has some kind of fleshly thing to it. Unless it's guided by the Holy Spirit in that action. For the memory of them is forgotten. That's awful. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. It is over. And they're going to know it. When they get to that point in judgment, they know it's final. And they will cry out to God. I did these things. I did that. Uh, Save me. Again, there's another quote from Spurgeon. Maybe this one was from John 14. I don't remember. I ended up just using things in another place because it really fit. There are many men in this world who uh, who so far from coming to God are going as far as they can from him. Nothing would delight such men so much as to be clean rid of his presence and to be entirely escaped from the bounds of his dominions. They would be content to make their bed in hell if they could thus find a satisfactory answer to the question, whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I free from thy presence? Their hearts are at enmity with God and they hate his words and his ways. And they know that God is angry with them and they in return are angry with God. I believe that every word of that is true. There's such anger in the world and hatred and uh, vitriol. But when you boil it all down, it's their hatred towards God. They don't like his judgments. They don't feel right when God says, you're condemned, you're a prisoner, you've, you've done the wrong thing. Judgment's coming. And they look at God, how dare you? Do that in so many ways. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 8.
What do we have the power to do? Can I save myself? Do I have power over the Spirit? To command the Spirit to do something to me? Require, require of the Spirit or God to help me? Now it does say, God says, command thou me. And that's a wonderful statement. But it doesn't mean we tell God what to do. It means by recognizing his love, that impulse given to us, Holy Spirit, God then is required to love you and save you. But again, it's not us commanding. It's that thing that the Holy Spirit, the unseen hand that brought in, I'm so thankful you brought that up, that showed us those wonderful things. Maybe it was an accident, but it turned out being a really good thing. Verse 8, there is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Neither hath he the power in the day of death. And that was where the title came from. There is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. This is harsh stuff. And it's a harsh lesson to preach to people outside the church that don't know, that don't understand. But sometimes that hellfire and brimstone type message is a good thing. Scare some by fear is what it says. But we shouldn't avoid what punishment awaits those that are not God's. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Verse 9, all this have I seen and applied my heart into every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. That's describing our politicians. (laughs) And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. You know, Solomon went through a lot of things, experienced, craved, committed some abominable things. He did things wrong. He was also very wise. But he knew where the truth was, who should be given credit to, and called upon the same God that we do for salvation. In one sense, Or another. Verse 11. Because sentence against evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Well then what does that mean for us? Because the sentence against an evil work. We should recognize we had an evil work and then go correct it and ask for forgiveness. That's what it is. And do it speedily. Don't wait. Then you'll begin to forget about it. You know, the longer I get away from that sin, the less it really means to me. The less important it is to bring before the throne of God and ask for forgiveness. Our conscience becomes a little seared because of that little bit of enmity that we brought between us and God. Fully set in them to do evil. Again, we're going right back to the things I've said in other verses. What the world is set on. All right, this is Carl speak. 
No recognition of evil hearts and no desire to seek God. In fact, they hate the yoke of the Lord and no recognition of their bondage or desire to change. You see, we we look at the yoke of the Lord as a good thing. I look to the bit that God has put in my mouth from time to time as a good thing. I look to the chastisement as a good thing. There have been a few examples that I've ran across in the past couple of weeks about people that, people, <clears throat> uh, parents, well, I love my kid, I'm just going to let them do what they want, give them freedom. That's the most hateful thing you could do. Not training your child. And most parents do that because they're not confident in their own ways. And they're so permissive that it's a danger to the children. A a danger to their lifestyle. We need to be on watch. Let's continue with verse 12. This verse is about us. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God. Which fear before him. See, that gives me peace because I know I'm a troubled child that's prone to sin. And I have sins in my life that would be easy for you to conquer. Maybe you have some that would be easier for me to conquer. But we all have some things that are difficult for us to set aside. And we find ourselves doing, committing those infractions again. And uh, this gives me peace. Though we sin after sin, we're prolonged and we know that we'll be well with us because we fear God. We understand that there's a judgment. We pray for uh, an escape. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days which are a shadow, as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. I think I preached a sermon here, No Fear. And it was one of the sayings for, I don't know, Adidas or Nike or something. I don't remember. No fear. Everybody had the t-shirts. No fear. That's a sad thing when you apply it to the spirit and God and truth. You should fear. And that's not being afraid and cowering in the corner. It's understanding that you deserve condemnation and judgment. Can't say you don't. Because we all do. Their vanity which is done upon the earth that there uh, be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth According to the work of the righteous, I said that this is also vanity. Then I commended mirth, happiness, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For that shall abide with him for his labor of the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. There's two sides to that. If that's all your goal is, is to... Eat, drink, and be merry. 
you're outside of the will of God. But we that are God's, we can feast upon his truth. We can come together and commune together. We can have fellowship and eat and drink and be merry. Be happy about that. But if that's your only goal outside the walls of the church or confines of truth within the Bible, you're going down way the wrong path. You know, most of the world is TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, it's beer time. That's all they live for. I'm going to try to get this quote right because I didn't write it down. It was about a man making a statement. I was told that I was going to hell with Satan. And then his response was, make sure Satan brings the beer. Can you just take in the boldness of that statement? And you can see it over and over with people, you know, bikers and so on, and it's not limited to them. But they have this thing, they're proud of their sin. They're proud to be judged and going to hell. And I don't understand that. Doesn't make sense to me. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 16. When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night uh, seeth sleep with his eyes. Then I beheld the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor uh, to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. That's not talking about spiritual wisdom. We have a lot of smart people in this world. Have you ever heard the statement, too smart for their own good? That happens a lot because they're not wise in spiritual things, but they're wise in earthly things, and they're really smart, and I'm glad we have them. I'm glad we have some technology. They bring wonderful gifts to the earth, but most of the time this technology is used the wrong way. And this takes us back to what it's, I said earlier. We can't direct the spirit. We can't seek or find without the Spirit. No man hath power over the Spirit. Matthew thirteen forty nine. The end of the world, end of the age, end of this time frame. Everything's going to be consumed and changed in some form. Matthew 13, 49. So it shall be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just. That's us. We're the just. But we're only just and justified because of Christ. We, we always keep that in mind. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. They don't know the judgment that's coming. Second Peter 2. Just one verse there. If you knew you were in a dangerous position, would you not do something to get out of that danger? 
I mean, who wants to stay in a position where you can get hurt, have harm come to you, or even death? You would try to avoid that at all costs if you had an awareness. I'd say not only some of the world have no awareness of that, but some do, as I was uh, trying to describe before, and they don't care. They're blind and they don't care. They're deaf and dumb. They, they don't care. They can't walk in the right way. They don't care. I didn't either. Second Peter 2.3 says this, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Woe to the blind guides that we have in Congress and other places. Woe to them for doing the wrong thing, making merchandise of people, coming out with government program after government program to help the poor. I submit to you, they don't really care about the poor. They're, they're an item of merchandise to be used to get more money. They have power over and can siphon off things off that power. That's what they do. Can you name one government program that did its job and they terminated it? There's not one. I think I've said this before. They, they grow. We did. I saw this in the military all the time. We, we would start, have some need, and they would go, okay, you know what, we need to start this little committee over here, and we'll deal with this problem and training, and we'll do that. And it starts out with, you know, I don't know, uh, a lieutenant and two people, and in a couple of years, you've got an admiral there with 500 people, certain divisions, and they're still not fixing things. It's called mission creep. The mission gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because they like that power and control. I wish the government would solve some problems. That's what they're supposed to do, but they don't. I wish the government cared for their people. All right, Isaiah 56. But this describes those that are in power making merchandise. Uh, but they're going to be held accountable. It's verse 10, Isaiah 56, verse 10. This is also talking about uh, the uh, the Pharisees and the priests and others that were not in line with God, doing the wrong thing. But it applies to any any person in in power that should be doing the right thing. Isaiah fifty six verse ten. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, and every one for his gain from his quarter. That's what the world, that's the way they work. It's all about me. It's not about them. It's all about me, even though I'm responsible for these things. They pervert everything in an attempt to keep their own power and greed. Matthew 13. I brought forth a question a little while ago about condemnation and about belief and choosing. When we talk about elect and choosing, 
we had no part of it. We know it exists, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus saves. Very simple. Those two words kind of sum it up. But there's a reason. And it's not just, well, they didn't, God didn't pick me, and that's why I am the way that I am. Absolutely untrue. Absolutely untrue. Verse seven or verse eleven, rather, Matthew thirteen. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given. Oh, let me stop there. Given. It's given to you. And a lot of the world will say, Well, God gave me this gift, but I have to receive it. I have to take it. I don't believe that either. You wouldn't even know to take it or know that the gift is there or see it or be able to apprehend it if the Holy Spirit, the unseen hand, didn't tell you about it. Then it's given and then we receive. We went in this morning in in the, the lesson and I was... Over the past number of weeks I've been going through verbs that the requirements of the creature, you know, believe, seek, uh, trust, find... You know, lots of them. But we can't do those things unless empowered by the Spirit to show us those things. And then we commit ourselves to try to do them. And then we fail and we pray and ask for forgiveness. And we pick ourselves up and try again. We fall down and the Spirit lifts us up and we go forward again. We aim for the target and often miss. And we try again. The Lord forgives. All right, I stopped at given, right? Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. But that's not an excuse. They would reject it anyway. We'll see it in a verse coming up. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Well, they desire God. God's just not giving himself to them. No. They do not desire God. They're not moving towards God in any way. And neither did I. I could I could take. I don't know who's the smallest one here. I think I can take. Where's Jacob? All right. Jacob. Go in that room. He's not moving. I compelled him to do that. Right? He can say no. Now, I can get him in that room. That's why I picked on the smallest person here. Picking up, grab him, and take him to that place. See, I was like Jacob. God told me to move in his direction. And what was my first thing? No. Don't want to. I don't want to give up those things. I'm not as free as I was before. I don't like it. But what did God do? He grabbed me, apprehended me, and took me to a place that I wouldn't have gone on my own. I wouldn't really do that to you, Jacob. (sighs) Therefore, speak I unto them in parables, because they... Seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, and neither do they understand. 
And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. The Pharisees were well acquainted with Jesus and his works. And that's actually where I started on all of this. Uh, was even the works of Christ was because of the works of the Father in him. And you say, well, Jesus is God and God is Jesus. And I know uh, that uh, Vince preached on this, that he's all God and all man. I've said that, that same phrase too. But people would like to think, well, Jesus has this power and he just had the power to do all good things. And he is Jesus. He is Christ. He is pure. But he did it through prayer. He did it through submitting the flesh to God. He did it through overcoming the pain and walking miles and miles and uh, being hunger, being thirsty. He was human. But he did all those things for us. He submitted to God. That's where the anointing came from. There's another place where it talked about the anointing of God on Christ. Christ is God. Why is there a need for anointing? Well, there is, but he got that from prayer. He prayed often. Often. But why? Why are people... uh, I don't want to say outside the elect because I don't know. Outside the church, unbelievers. It's verse 15. Why? It answers it. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And should understand with their heart and should be converted. And I should heal them. What are they doing? What I did a minute ago. I don't need God. I don't need to change. How dare you judge me? Especially you Christian churchy people. You're just hypocrites. I've heard that over and over. Call me a hypocrite. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. If I have to admit that I'm a sinner and still sin, that's okay. All it does is bring glory to God. It doesn't mean that I sin more to bring more glory. God forbid. But I understand where I'm at, my position, and who I go to for forgiveness. But you have to recognize and see the sin that's there in the first place. But how are we to see and so on is because of the work of the Spirit. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes. And I can say this to you too. It's not just for the disciples. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see. And what he's talking about there is really the kingdom of God being in hand and him being here. The Messiah in their presence. And they rejected him. Ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. The word that goes out. We're supposed to cast our word out. And if it returns spiritually, God blessed it. If it's rejected, so be it. 
And there are people that, well, they hear the word sounded kind of good, made me feel guilty for a moment or a short season. And they try to correct and do right with their own will. And it doesn't work. It never works. Because you can't. You can't follow God without the power of the Spirit directing you and moving you. Verse 19, and when anyone, when, excuse me, when anyone heareth the word uh, of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is, uh, he which received the seed by the wayside. And I'm starting kind of in the middle. I didn't want to do the entire thing. Uh, but he that received the seed in, uh, into so many places is the same as he that heareth the word with joy. And receiveth it. Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth, endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. It's not a real conversion. If it were, it would be very different. And I know I used that before too. The world's offended. They don't like God. They don't want part of it. You talk to them, you're going to offend them. People are being arrested just for standing on the side of the street at a, a pride parade reading the Bible. That's it. Nothing more. And they're arrested for that, that sharing. Because it hurts somebody's feelings. Or to carry a sign, Jesus loves you. Things like, very simple things. And they're not just being criticized for it. They're being attacked and those are being protected by our own police forces and security that should be doing the right thing. But it's because they're all part of the world. They're all part of this sinful mechanism. Those that are in those positions are in places where they don't want to follow God. They don't want wisdom. They don't want truth. But also that received, he that, verse 22, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word, understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. You, we're all going to bring forth fruit. If you're his, you're going to bring forth fruit. That's it, period. The Holy Spirit indwelling with you will bring forth fruit in all manner of ways. But uh, praise the Lord that we had good ground. And let me clarify that. Lord, I've prepared my ground. Give me that seed and I'll prosper. It doesn't work that way. I can go outside and just throw seeds on the ground. They're probably not going to grow, right? What do I need to do to that ground? Break it up, till it, dung it, do other things to prepare. And then when the seed's put in, it flourishes. But who does that preparation in us? It's the unseen hand again, <laughs> right? It's the unseen hand that did that, prepared the soil for the word. So it would flourish. Uh, Zephaniah 3. 
We're still the main theme is the polluted world and death and accountability. Death is coming. And I'm talking about the final death, the second death. And I tried to get there all the way. <laughs> I've been headed towards second death for a couple of months. And I always get diverted to other little parts of that. And I'm pointing to blame. Because uh, every since that you mentioned that, I, I keep chewing on it and thinking about it. That pointed day of death. And where we're going to end up afterwards if you're not Christ. It's a certainty. All right. Uh, Zephaniah 3. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. Are we in the right place? Right? She obeyed not the voice. She received not the correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew uh, not near to her God. Her princes within are roaring lions. Her judges are uh, evening wolves. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. Her prophets are light and treacherous, treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary and they have done violence to the law. Corrupted the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof and he will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light and he faileth not. But the unjust knoweth no shame. It's not shameful for me to want all these things. It's not shameful for uh, me to try to force people to call me a the, they, them, whatever the pronouns that they prefer. That's all nonsense to me. It's madness that we read about earlier, right? It's madness that we can have a, a Supreme Court judge that doesn't know the definition of a woman. And I can go down the list, and I've talked about some of these before. To us, we sit and go... That's just crazy talk. Because we can see and sense the truth because the Holy Spirit's within us. Drew not uh, near to her God. Oh, wait a minute. Next one. Uh, good verse 5. The just Lord, I'm going to read it again, is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. I have cut off the nations and their... Towers desolate, I made their streets waste, that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed, so that there is no man, and there is none inhabitant. I said, surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive the instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever, I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. You could apply this in several places uh, in the Old Testament. Because God told them what to do. He saved them from Egypt. He purged them. Brought them into a place where he could uh, be with them. But they had no desire to be with him. They went the other way. They built a golden calf. And But there was one point where uh, you have to choose who you're going to serve. And the others were consumed that did not. God showed them a new thing. Earth opened up. They were gone. Now we're kind of back to that too. How do you choose? How do you know to choose? How do you know what's right? It's the Holy Spirit that guides you in all of those things. 
corrupted all their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to pray, P-R-E-Y, for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms together. Sorry, getting lost. That I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. It says he's a jealous God. He is. There is no other God but him. All people should serve him. I can't even describe what the fire of his indignation really is. It's terrible. It's an awful thing. It's something you don't want to experience. For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one consent. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for all of his children to come together and and set aside some of our differences in belief because at that time it's going to be pure. Our doctrines will be pure. We're coming together with one consent. No problems, no distinctions from one group to another. We're all there serving Christ. And actually, he's serving us. He did already. Served us with manna all around. One consent. What a wonderful thing to ponder. If we can strive through the Spirit to do the right thing, a lot of these walls will come down, and we I want the opportunity to share with someone. I want the opportunity to, to discuss things with them. We had some electrical work being done, and uh, now I've already forgot the religion. Sorry. Doing a brain skip. So what was it, door to door, and they don't, they don't believe in... Christ, Jehovah Witness, thank you. And so, uh, very nice gentleman, extremely nice. And I found out what he was, and so I said, well, let's have lunch. I'll cook you lunch, and let's talk. And uh, I told him, I said, I'm not trying to convince you of anything when we sat down, but I said, I want to share how I believe, because I know I can't convince anybody of anything. Can't. But I showed him my doctrines and what I believed, and I showed him where I thought the errors were in the Jehovah Witness belief. And he, as far as I know, didn't take any of it on board. And I heard his side, and which I vehemently disagreed with. But I had an opportunity to share. And that's what we're supposed to do is share. doesn't matter what happens. We don't need to worry about what God does with it. God will do with it what he wants. His word never returns void. Never returns void. We're supposed to cast our bread upon the water. We're supposed to witness to all men. We're supposed to not hide our candle and let our light so shine. That's what we're supposed to do. Be not ashamed. You know, a lot of people will walk around, well, I'm not ashamed. Look at me. I got a cross tattoo on my arm. I wear a, a cross necklace. Not that I'm knocking that, but we're not cross worshipers. If you look really closely, I'm a really good Christian because I got Jesus all over my tie. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
doesn't make any difference. I like the time. But you can barely see that. And I, I contrast that with people that say that they're good people. But they have a very shallow understanding of Christ, the truth, and what he sacrificed himself for. And that's what's important. That Jesus died for sinners. And all that claim him have a right to eternal life. But it's only because the unseen hand showed it to us. Demonstrated that day after day. The salvation. The love. The comfort. May God bless you is my prayer.